Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. a number of years ago now, I was on a conference in Sydney and I was a bit peckish, I was staying at Parramatta that night and uh, decided to walk through the town square to get a bite to eat and to my great surprise this young scruffy looking kid ran up behind me and grabbed me by the collar of the neck and said, hey mate can you spot me some money for dinner, I'm really really hungry, can you help me out? I looked at him and just as quickly looked the other way and I walked away, he said sorry mate, can't help you, I'm in a rush and I kept walking. Shame on me. That that was my default response. Without engaging this person in conversation, without trying to work out the context of their life and what brought them to me that night, I walked the other way. Well, I only got about 10 minutes down the road and they had that real sense of conviction where I got that one wrong. Probably God speaking to you through his spirit. Hey, Mark, you got that wrong. Fix it before it's too late. So quickly I rushed back at the top of my voice yelling, hey, wait up, wait up. And to my great surprise, under the peak of this cap was a, not a young scruffy looking boy, it was a 17-year-old woman. And we got chatting with each other for quite some time and talked about her life and how unfair life can be sometimes. She'd been kicked out of home up the country. She'd come down to the city to make a go of things and was boarding with a family that were treating her really appallingly. So she's feeding her for herself on the streets most nights looking for a bite to eat. I talked about my faith in Jesus Christ and how incredible that journey is and how Jesus helps me through the, the great times and through the challenging times of life. Talked about the validity of the local church as well and how that church could really help her going forward. And uh, we talked about a whole variety of things. It was really obvious to me that it had been a long, long time since this young girl had experienced any sense of love from someone else in her life. And I gave her some uh, money to eat for the next couple of nights and then I you know, said my farewells. As I walked back to the hotel room that night, I thought to myself, I wonder, I just wonder if Jesus would have engaged with that woman that night and would he have engaged with her in conversation and practical assistance and prayer and I wonder, perhaps. But having said that, I've not always got that right. You see, as the busyness of life gets a hold of me and I chase after my daily aspirations and try and achieve those aspirations, I can, be some, can become so self-focused that I don't even hear people like that. I don't even see or hear those desperate cries for help. Why? Because I'm too busy worrying about my own stuff. I don't even experience empathy at times and compassion for them because I'm too worried about me. Which is counter to how God created me because God created all of us with the explicit invitation to be his appointed representatives here on earth. In other words, we're called to be people who love as God loves. And life is full of opportunities to be love and to engage with people who are desperately in need, whether that be at the physical level or the emotional level or the spiritual level. To bring the compassionate love of Jesus to someone who is desperately and who's crying out to be loved. And you may just be that, that only representative of Jesus that that person ever experiences. Now if we just open up our eyes and widen our peripheral vision, but most importantly if we open up our hearts, you will find that there are incredible stories of hope just waiting to unfold and they're all around us. Stories that perhaps God is calling us to actually be a part of, to join with him in his redemptive mission on earth. Now Jesus, he would often become part of someone's story as he reached out with mercy and he would often change the course of someone's life. Driven with compassion, he could not help but become part of someone's story of hope. 
as he encountered them, particularly at their desperate time of need. And in doing so, he inspires us and calls us to do exactly the same as his followers. Now, today's story is a case in point. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. Mark 5, 21 to 34. And when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body and she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, at the time of this interaction, Jesus had gained a great deal of popularity. In many ways, he was at the pinnacle of his fame. People respected him as healer. People respected him as teacher. Crowds would swarm around him just to see what he was going to do next and who it is that he was going to engage with. But despite the pressures of this popularity and the demands on his time, Jesus would often, in the business of his day, stop everything that he was doing and respond to people who were in need and meet those needs. Now in this situation, you've got Jesus who was on an urgent mission to visit Jairus' dying daughter. Now, surely nothing could stop him in his tracks. Surely nothing could be more important than the potential premature death of a young teenage girl who had her life all before her. Yet here we find Jesus confronted with this random interruption to his journey. What would you do in this situation? Would you press on? Would you perhaps hesitate and weigh it up both sides? Should I? Should I not? Or would you stop? Stop everything you were doing and attend to an equally urgent need. Now before you answer that question, let me ask you, how do you deal with interruptions? How do you handle interruptions in your, your life? Because I know that there are many people who like to deal with one thing at a time. You've got one big task you're dealing with and you're going to spend all of your energy in dealing with that task until you've got it done. Once you've got it done, signed off, you'll move on to the next thing. You find it very hard to juggle a number of things in the air at one time. There are others of you that can juggle things in the air. And you might be a little like myself. Perhaps you're a little more precise with your planning. You like to have things ordered in your day or your week. You've got a diary. You've got a to-do list. You don't like to waste any time. You want to get the most out of your day. And so an unexpected interruption presents itself and it potentially sabotages all your plans. What do you do? Do you, do you roll with the inconvenience? Or do you stick to your guns? Is it possible that God wants to break into our diaries at times? Is it possible that God wants to break into our to-do list and maybe add a couple of things and delete a couple of things? Is it possible 
that God wants to break into our self-focused drive and, and move our attention to his most prized possession, people. You know, Jesus often came across people like this woman who was desperately in need. They were not on his, it doesn't appear that they were on his daily agenda. They presented themselves as opportunities for him to be love and show love and reach out his hand of mercy. Now, he refused to see such people like these as an inconvenience. Rather, they became and he embraced them as a welcome interruption to his day. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I can see global poverty as an inconvenience to my day as an inconvenience to my life, certainly an inconvenience to my comfortable and relatively affluent lifestyle. But the reality is this, in our world today, there are still 836 million people who live in extreme poverty. There are 663 million people who don't have access to a protected water source. There are 2.4 billion people who lack access to basic sanitation services such as toilets, and most of us have probably got two or three of those in our homes. Nearly half of all deaths in children under five are attributable to undernutrition. Over 1,400 young children die each day, or about 526,000 children a year from diarrhoea, despite the availability of simple and effective treatment that you and I can simply buy over the counter at a chemist. And approximately 124 million children and adolescents throughout the world are missing school each day, usually because of some sort of civil conflict that's going on in their area. And globally, one in nine people in the world today, 795 million, are undernourished. Now, what's easy to do, and I've done it plenty of times, it's easier to cope with this way, I can leave those as statistics on a PowerPoint or on a piece of paper or in a book and hold them at arm's length and not really have to engage with them. Why? Because they don't really affect me, those stats. They don't affect the way that I do life. I don't know many people that are actually affected to that degree that were just looked at there. So I can sort of impersonalise it a little bit and get on with the rest of my day. But then when you dig a little bit deeper under the surface of those statistics, you realise that there are people's lives that are affected here. There are families that are being adversely influenced on the back of those statistics. God's creation, people, are actually doing it tough in the world around us. You see, it's the, the Syrian refugees who have escaped the unending violence in their homes and escaped their homes just to find a little bit of peaceful land that they can bring up their kids in. Or it's these malnourished children in South Sudan wondering where their next meal is coming from as they deal with the East African famine. Or it's these Bangladeshi workers, women in the cotton fields or the factories of Bangladesh, being exploited and abused so the rich can keep getting richer and the fashion labels overseas in countries like ours can get richer on the back of their poverty. Being invited to work overtime and not being paid for it. Not being looked after, being exploited and abused by their managers. No one's speaking up on their behalf. Or it's these young children in the Philippines being forced to work or driven into slave labour instead of being in school. And so when you're confronted with the statistics, when you're confronted with those images, you can't help but be moved just that little more. And these stats and these images, they're a rude interruption to my plans. They're a rude interruption to our plans, aren't they? They're easy to ignore so we can simply get on with the rest of our lives. Yet these stats and these images, they represent people. And they invite a response from God's people. They're, these are lives of people who are desperately in need of love. 
stories that encapsulate poverty and darkness and abuse and exploitation and injustice. They are stories that can still change if people like us decide to embrace the inconvenience of poverty and be love. And by pushing a few things aside and maybe tinkering with our goals in life and our to-do lists and our diaries and whatnot and embrace the plight of the poor, we can actually witness incredible stories of hope unfolding before us. And we ourselves, we get to become part of those stories, which is a gift that God gives us. Now back to our story here. It's quite staggering when you think about it because here you've got Jesus urgently rushing off to Jairus' house and he's stopped in his tracks by this woman who's got a need of her own. Now, in this moment, you wouldn't blame Jairus for protesting a little bit. I reckon I would. If I was Jairus, I'd be at the back of the pack. Hey, Jesus, remember me? Remember what we're off to do here? We're, can we just press on to the focal point of this ministry right now where we're all going? I mean, this woman, I understand she's got a need, but she's had it for 12 years. Can't she wait another 12 hours? Let's go. But there was none of that. There was no protesting. Well, there may have been. We don't read about that. But certainly Jesus is not protesting. Doesn't put the woman back in her place. And I'll, be, I'll catch up with you tomorrow. Here he's on the run and he stops and engages with a woman having a crisis of her own. She desperately fights through the crowd. She touches the edge of his cloak and immediately she is healed. Now what I love about this story is not just the miraculous healing that takes place, but it's the apparent spontaneity of Jesus. Here we have an unplanned encounter that he invests in, even in the midst of a really busy day and an urgent, urgent situation. That reminds me that busyness is never an excuse to ignore the plight of the poor and that the cries of the poor always deserve attention. And a set plan should never be that rigid that we refuse to engage with someone who is crying out in pain. This encounter reminds us that there are opportunities to be loved that exist every single day. If we dare just look beyond our own needs, if we dare just look beyond, beyond our own busy agendas. Now, one of the great things about being part of a church, a growing church like this one, a vibrant church like this one, is that we get to attend to each other's needs. It's where the church in many ways is at its best, is that when a brother or sister in Christ falls on tough times or goes through an impoverished season of life, we get around each other, don't we? We pray for each other, we put a hand around each other, we hug each other, we share resources with one another to help us through that ordeal that we're experiencing in life. It's a great thing about being church. But of course it can't stop there. It has to go beyond the proximity of us and the physical space that we operate in on Sunday. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8 reminds us, doesn't it, that we are to go beyond our own local borders and into the community that God has placed us, where we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. And I know you're a very active church in this way too. It's one of the reasons you're growing as a church is because you're looking beyond yourselves. You've got that missional mindset, that missional heart. That's to be applauded, but never take that for granted because that's the heart of the gospel in so many ways, is reaching out and being Jesus to those who are very much in, the, in your local area. And so as you do so, you see you're attending to your, your unemployed next door neighbour and you're caring for that person or your work colleague who's gone through a separation or perhaps it's somebody else, a friend that's battling a really serious illness. It might even be showing some concern for that needy person who is struggling on the footpaths of your shopping strip, the one that you walk past most days. But of course, again, Acts 1.8 reminds us that it, we extend ourselves as a church even beyond those borders and into the world around us, to the ends of the earth. 
growing an awareness of the global needs of people who are stuck in poverty, living in those situations that you and I can't even imagine and begin to grasp in many ways. People who are stuck in poverty. And we step into that with generosity and with love. So it's, you know, it's sponsoring one of those children. And as you do, you're lifting a whole community out of poverty and empowering them for their futures as well so they're no longer reliant on us after a number of years. It's providing assistance to a displaced people group in a, in a refugee camp like the Rohingya people right now in Bangladesh who have escaped Myanmar because of the conflict that's going on there. Or it's shopping ethically and speaking up for those who are being exploited in the supply chains of our clothing and our electronics. So there are so many ways that we can be love, both at a local context and in a global context. If you look at the life of Jesus and the way he engaged with so many people, you see this love exuding from him as he loves people in a whole variety of ways. See, in, in this story here, you've got Jesus, instead of rushing off, what does he do? He decides to personally engage with this woman, which is huge in the context of the day. See, this woman, because of her disease, she would have been an outcast in her society, not unlike lepers who had to out themselves when they sort of walked out to the public space 50 to 100 metres away, just let people know that they were around, they were in the vicinity for fear of that disease being contracted by others. So she would have had to have added herself to get anywhere near people. 50 to 100 metres away was about a, a safe type of distance that we could keep from her. So here she is out of money, doctors couldn't help her, she's as desperate as all get out. She's got nothing to lose. She would have had a low self-esteem, no sense of self-worth, dignity. So I imagine, we don't know this, but I would imagine she had to disguise herself to get anywhere near Jesus. Probably on her hands and her knees. Prized the way through the crowd just to tug on his garment. You see, if she had of out of herself in a really public way and the crowd could see who she was, and they would have just shoved her right out of the way and wouldn't have got anywhere near Jesus. So she gets her way through somehow, through that crowd, and tugs on his garment. Now, this woman represents what we see in people today who are afflicted and stuck in poverty today. They're often unseen. They're often unheard. They are unclean, seen as powerless, and cast aside by society as spare parts, not given a voice. People reaching out in desperation, longing for things to change in their lives. And Jesus, in this situation, he feels the faith touch of this woman and he gives this woman his personal attention, as if she's the only one there. This is personal engagement at its absolute best. It reminds us that Jesus is never too busy for anyone, never too busy for you in your time of need, whatever that might be as well. Now, you know this, our world is becoming more and more impersonal by the day. It's the way it's evolving. You can do your banking now online, you can do your grocery shopping online, you can pay at the pump and not go in and pay for your petrol. You don't have to do much these days where you actually press the flesh with anyone. You can do social media now is encouraging us to have relationships with each other, as good as that might be, but there are, th these are relationships where we're not even in, in personal connection with people. You can go to the airport now and you can actually book yourself in there, you can print your bag tag and your boarding pass, you don't have to eyeball anyone to get to your destination anymore. It's a very impersonal world in many ways. Yet God created us for relationship. He created us to do relationship with one another. It's what so many people are craving in our world today. It's what the church can offer in many ways as well, that relationship, that, that community, that love that we express amongst one another. So to be love in that way. 
God created us for that. Now, Jesus in this situation models it in a way that he affords this woman his most precious time. What I love about this story is that Jesus, he can differentiate between the touch of this pressing crowd and the touch of this one desperate woman. He can tell the difference. So he affirms her, yes, by healing her, but he affirms her by by calling her out and listening to her story. So he engages with her at a personal level. It's probably the first time in a long, long time that anyone's actually talked to her, had deep and meaningful with her in any sense. I wonder if you're ready to listen to the stories of the poor. There's so many stories unfolding in the darkness of those stats and those images I showed a little bit earlier. Yet with the loving engagement of people prepared to sacrifice just a portion of their resources and their hearts, some of those stories are turning into ones full of hope and transformation. Here's the great news. In the last 20 years, these are the sorts of things we're starting to see in the space that we're talking about this morning. One billion people have overcome the obstacle of poverty in the last 20 years. The trend lines are starting to move in the right way. Child mortality is halved in that time. Back in the late 1990s, 12 million children under the age of five were dying each year of preventable diseases. It's now 5.9 million. Still way too many, but that's an astounding reduction in a short period of time when you think about it. 90% of the world has access to safe drinking water now. You couldn't say that 20 years ago. And maternal mortality is halved in the last 20 years. So we're making a big dent, and I don't overplay this, but Christians and the church worldwide have been very much at the forefront of this and seeing this trend line starting to move in the right direction. But as you could see earlier, there's still a long way to go for all people to experience that fullness of life that God created and intended for all people to enjoy. There are stories of transformation all around the world just waiting to unfold. You heard one little earlier, Simmer and her young family there as well. Uh, a few years ago, I visited, actually I, I did a few years ago, but even a few months ago as well, I revisited Nepal with a few Baptist pastors. And Nepal is, a, uh, is an interesting country. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. The capital city is Kathmandu. It's a dusty and dirty and chaotic type of country. In many ways, it's a half-finished nation. And the irony is you can't tell what the consequences of the Nepal earthquake of three years ago are with what is just naturally Nepal, which is a half-finished sort of cracked nation. And you can see some images there. You've got exposed wires in the street. You've got bamboo scaffolding. You've got cattle on the road that you've got to drive around because you've got no energy to get up. And you've got rubbish in all the, um, the side streets just decaying away. There's a stench in the air because no one comes and picks it up. Uh, it's, it's really a, a, it's quite a poor country in many ways. We do a lot of our work, though, in the outer areas and the more regional areas uh, and countries like, uh, sorry, areas like this one called Lullapur, southeast of Kathmandu. It's probably about 50k out of Kathmandu, yet it takes four hours to drive there, which tells you something about the roads as well. Now, we do a lot of our work in these impoverished areas and up in the mountainside. You, you look at that and you could retreat there, couldn't you? It's beautiful and lush and green, yet that's where a lot of the poverty in Nepal lies. Uh, so much so that you know, they, they can't afford to live in the city. And Kathmandu is poor as Kathmandu is as well. This is another level of poverty as well. Now, we came across a family on this particular day who'd uh, been living in a makeshift humpy for most of their days and just really doing it tough, finding it hard to send the kids to school and put three meals on the table during the, during the day. It was perhaps just one for them, a little bit of rice and some bread if they were lucky. Uh, just, just things were really tough for them, couldn't afford medical supplies. But things dramatically changed from them when they became recipients of a Baptist World Aid community development project where a church or a, some individuals over here just loved on this community and loved on this family and this mother was able to go and join a self-help group and she was taught how to do something very simple just rear goats run a business rear some goats 
So we rocked up on this particular day to look at the back end of her store, expecting to see maybe a couple of goats out the back in a little, little chicken box or something. Uh, but to our great surprise, we came across this really large shed uh, full of the thriving goats. There's about 70 of them that she uh, turns over every seven months for milk and meat. And this thriving business, on the back of this thriving business, this family could buy land, they could erect their own home, they could afford food and medical supplies, they could send their kids to school and afford the, the school fees. Just things had incredibly changed for them on the back of something very simple, being educated on how to run a business. Now, whether that be a fishery or a, uh, a goat rearing or chicken rearing or a little agricultural farming, whatever it might be, this was the one that she decided to go with and has totally transformed the whole family and their lives. And I've got so many other stories like that too, whether it be through our, our water purification and sanitation projects, whether it be through our child trafficking educational classes and child brides and whether it be through our agricultural micro loan financing, whatever it might be, whatever the needs are in those communities, as people are empowered, it changes their world. What I love about it though is this, when the church gets involved. We only work through Christian organisations on the ground who are indigenous to the people and the local church will so often get involved in our work. So you see the church, you see what happens is you see word and deed coming together. Proclamation and demonstration, both valid expressions of the gospel, not one or the other, which one do we go with this week or which one's more important? Both together, word and deed, complementing each other, packing a huge punch of the gospel and we're seeing the growth of the church over in Nepal. We're seeing baptisms happening in those communities that we're operating in. You know, in Nepal, 20 years ago, there were just seven Baptist churches. Right now, there are 500 Baptist churches in Nepal. Things are growing in that country, uh, and it's far from a Christian country. Actually, when I was over there, they just passed law that Christians couldn't overtly proselytize, otherwise they'll be thrown into jail. They're getting a bit toey right over there right now because Christianity is growing. Now, I think they'd be hard-pressed to throw the Christians or the church to the pastors in the jail because so much of this aid and development work that's going on in this very poor country is happening through Christians. It's happening through the church and aid agencies like ours. So it might be a veiled threat, but it's still worth praying into. Uh, because Christianity is really starting to find some traction in that country and other countries too that we're operating in around the world as well. You know, there are people all over the world just waiting for people like us to show them some interest, to show some love and concern and engage personally with their story. Not unlike how Jesus responded to that bleeding woman. You see, as God's creation, she deserved attention. She was a masterpiece. And it wasn't just a physical encounter, of course, that she experienced. It was a spiritual healing too that she was gifted with and gifted with eternal life. Jesus empowers her and then restores her place back in society. Restores her dignity and self-worth. So each of us, we are called to be loved, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to step into these stories of great need that God will often alert us to if we're open to being a vessel for him question is, will I, will we, in our relative affluence, in the comfort of our lifestyle, in our privileged positions, will we step out of our busyness and step out of this, what you might even define, this self-focused and entitled society that we live in and be love, growing in these Jesus virtues of compassion and love and mercy, taking our cue from Jesus. There's no better one to take our cue from than our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So let me leave you with this question this morning. I wonder who's tugging on your garment today. I don't presuppose that uh, we're all going to respond in the same sort of way. I actually don't want to, I don't like to put any sort of pressure on people. How, how or should they be responding this morning? That's between you and God because you're all at different journeys of your faith in different contexts of life 
different seasons of life as well. So I'm going to leave you some space now. We've got a little uh, video that we're going to throw to in a moment's time where you can just prayerfully reflect, God, what are you saying to me this morning in my life? Is there anyone that's tugging on your garment this morning? And just watch this prayerfully as we do a bit of business with God on, at that personal level. Thanks.